Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. First Kings 19, 9 through 15. And we're talking about Elijah. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel I have forsaken that. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life too. And then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And, And after the fire came a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in a mantle and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? Elijah. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life too. And then the Lord God said to him, go, return the way that you came to the wilderness of Damascus. And then when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. What are you doing here, Elijah? That is a really important question. Maybe possibly one of the most important questions that we're we're going to, to see come out of the Bible. What are you doing here? You may recall from last week, Elijah was at the the center of of quite a spectacle. Just a few days prior to the events that we just talked about, he he prays down fire from heaven. He prays down rain on the city and he, he labors in prayer on the top of a mountain in between, right? Elijah was, was the model of what it meant to pray for the lost. That's what we, we talked about last week. And yet here we are one chapter later, the very same prophet where he is tired. He is afraid. He is ready to just give up on everything. Elijah has traveled about 80 miles on foot with nothing but the clothes on his back. And it's here in the middle of the wilderness that Elijah cries out to God that he is finished. This journey is too much. This is too hard. You guys have things like that? You guys have days like that? Where this journey is too hard. And I am finished. And God's response is to pose a question. What are you doing here? 
this same question is a question that, that gets asked to us. In it, your journey with Jesus, you are going to have times where you are stuck. In your journey with Jesus, there are going to be times where you find yourself in hard situations. There are going to be times where you want to give up, and there is going to be a question, what are you doing here? How did you get to where you are today, and how does that inform where you are going to go next? What are you doing here? This morning, we're going to be talking about gratitude. And before we go too far down this road, I want to, to take you on a little excursion that I went on a few weeks ago. There's another slide. Can you just pop it up real quick? Sorry. Um, now, before we get started, I need to, to make a promise here. I will not bring in a bicycling or running illustration every single Sunday. That, that I, I promise that I will not do that, okay? However... <laughs> However, there, there is something that I think we can get out of an experience that I had a few weeks ago. So to give a, a little backstory, I, I've started doing some training on my bicycle. I've, I've started doing some training uh, in terms of running throughout the week. On a, a snapshot of what my week looks like is on Monday, I have a rest day. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have an evening run, um, generally over by the Hornsby's house, uh, with various workouts and things that, that my coach has put together. Five plus miles is what I try to do on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays, I ride my bike in my garage because it's way too cold. Um, and so I do that in the evenings, 10 to 15 miles with, a, again, a workout that my coach has put together. Uh, Friday, I do a mix of a run and a ride or a uh, potentially some other exciting thing in between. Saturday is my long day, so I go out on a bike ride for 40 to 50 miles, and then Sunday is my long run day where I try to run 8 to 10. So that's a, a week. And so three weeks ago, I started planning for a weekend ride. And this is the, the route, and I know it, it's small, but what I can tell you is I start at Woodley Island, um, head down Myrtle Avenue, out towards Freshwater, Freshwater up to Neyland, down the other side of Neyland towards Greenwood Heights. I think it's Green, Greenwood, Greenway. Yeah. Uh, back to Freshwater, around the bay, back to Woodley Island. So 45 miles is, is roughly what that looks like. And for those of you that are, aren't aware, that green line represents the elevation gain on the left-hand side. So that peak means that something hard is coming. So three weeks ago, I started kind of planning out my weekend bike ride. I, I, it kind of takes time to figure out, you know, how far I want to go, what kind of difficult things I want to include. What I can say is the last time that I rode this hill, I was about 15 to 20 years younger, a lot of pounds lighter, and a whole lot more youthful enthusiasm and foolishness. Uh, existed. Um, and so here I am. Uh, the, the ride starts at Woodley Island, like I said, and, and we're, we're heading south towards freshwater. It's cold. It's super cold. I'm, I'm riding in the morning. Um, it's like high 40s. So it's, it's really chilly. 
And I was like, man, it's a good thing I have this new jacket that I just got last week on. So I have this riding jacket. It's super yellow. Like you can, you have to like close your eyes to, to and you could probably still see me. Um, so it's, if you see a guy running in Fortuna from like side of the city to side of the city, that's me in that yellow jacket. Um, and so I, I try to start, out, start off early so I don't miss, you know, time with my family throughout the day. And so I'm, I'm starting my ride maybe like eight o'clock, something like that. And so we're, we're out high 40s and it's super cold. Man, it's a good thing I have this jacket. And things are going good. And it, it's at this point, this, this first few miles as we start heading to freshwater that is the, the first applicable point to this morning. When things are going good, it is easy to have gratitude. When I'm out on my bicycle, most of the time, especially when I'm, I'm in a, a beautiful place, when I get to see a beautiful thing, I, I'm very much, God, thank you for this time. When, when I do as much running and as much bicycling as I'm doing, that's a great time to have quiet time with God (laughs) because nobody else is there. (laughs) And so, of course, God, thank you for your creation. Thank you for everything that I I get to participate in, everything that I get to see today. And as I'm making my way through Freshwater Park, you start to climb. Your, Your 20 miles an hour becomes six. And you... Just go. And it takes a really, really long time. And for those of you that have driven to Neeland, Neeland is steep. The the hill to Neeland is very steep. Steep like to the point where when you're pedaling, sometimes the front wheel of your bike comes up off the ground a little bit. It's steep. Like really steep. (laughs) And my goal for this ride was just to make it through. Like I didn't, oh, I'm going to finish this in record time. It wasn't, like I just want to get over the hill. That, that was the only thing that I wanted to do. And as I'm coming up towards Neeland, I'm feeling good. As good as you can feel going up a hill like that. And the, there's trees that are kind of overshadowing the, the road. And I, I was still feeling pretty warm. When you wear a jacket when you're riding a bike, this is going to be kind of gross, sorry. Um, there's a lot of sweat that happens because there's no airflow to, to carry that away. And so it's something where basically it's like I just dunked my, my jersey that I'm riding in a bucket of water. And so that's underneath my jacket that I'm wearing. And as I'm, and it's again, high 40s. And as I'm going up this hill, there's water that's coming off of the trees onto me as, as I'm riding. And I'm, I'm working pretty hard going up this hill, so I'm still really warm, and, and it's not an issue. Um, and one thing that happens when you start going, riding up a hill is when you get to the top, or maybe the hill's just a little less steep. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and, and the thank you, Jesus, turns from God, thank you for your creation, to thank you for letting me get this far. <laughs> When we see progress, it's easy to have gratitude. When we see forward movement, when we see, man, I'm almost there, I'm so close, it's easy to have gratitude. And so as we continue up this hill, as I, I'm you know, continuing to get wet, I finally make it to the top. And so that's right at the very right-hand corner. We, we turn and we start going down Greenwood Heights. And 
right as I'm at the top of the hill about ready to start going down, I start realizing something might not be right here. I'm so cold. <laughs> I, I don't know that I, I've been this cold on a bike before. Um, and that's before I start going downhill. And so I start going downhill, and, and what you know about going downhill is there's wind. And so the, the wind is blowing, and um, the, the part about youthful ignorance, I don't descend hills as fast as I used to. When, when I was in college and uh, you know, maybe right out of college, I used to see how fast I could go. My top speed's right around 41 miles an hour down a hill. Um, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm smarter. Maybe I just want to get home and see my kids and, and not be in traction when I do that. Um, or, you know, maybe I've just lost some of my nerve. We could, we could say that too. But what I will say is the road was wet. The, um, there was redwood debris on the road, which makes it very slippery. And so what happened is my downhill, for anybody that rides a bike, they, they know the, the only benefit of going up a hill is that you get to go down it eventually. But in this particular case, I'm going down this hill about as fast as I was going up it. My legs are actually like shaking in the pedals. I'm so cold. My hands hurt because I'm holding the brakes for as long as I'm holding them. And when I, there's a little dip you can see in that green peak as it's coming down that you go to have to go up a hill for just a moment. And when I came to that, I could barely turn my feet over to pedal. And so you start wondering, hmm, how is this going to work? <laughs> so sure enough, you know, you warm up, you, you get up the other side, and you're, you're making it down these hills, some of which are, have some pretty scary hairpin turns, and that brings us to our third point. It's easy to have gratitude when a moment of danger passes us by, when something that could have happened didn't happen. And what I can say is when you go down, when you are descending a steep hill, there are always times where you're like, man, that could have gone really poorly. There was another ride where I had a deer come out in front of me in the middle of a downhill. Uh, my bike went sideways, the deer ran off, and away I, I went, kept on going down the hill, and it was fine. <laughs> but thank you, Jesus, in the midst of that, right? And so my legs are shaking, I'm freezing cold, I'm feeling pretty terrible at this point, and finally... After an extremely long amount of time, I make my way back to Freshwater School, which is like right at the, towards the end of that, that curve, or actually where it comes back together. And as I pull into Freshwater School, I go to get out of the bike, because uh, I'm like, I need to sit down and kind of recoup here. I can barely stand up. Like, I'm actually stumbling getting out of the, the bike. And I go to, to sit down on the bench, and, and this is where all of a sudden all of these things start happening in your head, where all of the struggles that you've gone through, they start to add up, and you, you start kind of wondering, man, am I even, what am I doing here? What's... What's the point of this? Why is this something that, that I'm even considering? Do I, do I even have 
any business thinking about doing something even larger than this. Like, this is, who are you? And it's here in this moment that an uncomfortable question crawled out from under a rock. Are you still grateful? And it's here that a choice comes up, and and we can go two different directions with this. I can choose to allow my my current circumstance to overshadow the, the previous expressions of gratitude, focusing instead on I've got 20 miles left that I have to finish. And in focusing on that, it really calls into question the validity, the sincerity, the authenticity of those expressions of gratitude that just took place, right? If I'm only going to be grateful in the moments when things are going well, then how much is that gratefulness really worth? How much is that gratitude really worth? worth. Or I can choose to remain grateful in this circumstance where I find myself in this moment, in this hard thing, because I know that even in this, God is with me. And it is much harder to have gratitude in the midst of hardship, pain, and trial. Okay, I know for this to be a really successful sermon illustration, it would have like really been amazing for me to say, and then God gave me the strength to get it back on my bike and, and finish my, my ride in record time. Like, I, I wish that, that that was what I was, was going to share with you this morning. That's not what happened. I got back on my bike. I went to ride towards Indianola to finish my ride, and in doing so, I was only able to ride about 10 miles an hour on flat land. I was like, I'm not doing this for the next two hours. And I turned around and went back to my car. <laughs> so my, my 45 mile an hour mile ride turned into a 25 mile ride. And that's okay. And what I will say is at the time, I didn't realize that this was something that, that made sense to, to bring up as an illustration of gratitude. But, but it does because it had all of the different instances of, of types of gratitude that exist in our life. Because if you look at, at your life, at your experience, you probably maybe aren't somebody who's out riding your bike up Neeland. But there's probably other things that you're doing in your life. There's other challenges that you have put in front of yourself. There's other victories that you are pursuing. And in the midst of all of that, we are called to gratitude. Now, this was a pretty lengthy story, I understand. And it doesn't really fit neatly into what we would call a a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice, right? me riding my bike isn't the same as me having my, my daily quiet time or, or, you know, a prayer time or, or a time reading my Bible or, or, you know, whatever those things are. What we have here is a moment of real life that's taking place outside of those specific practices, which are really important, by the way. This is a time where God was recognized not as a time that, that I had intentionally set aside, but throughout the course of everyday happenings. 
And so as a church, we're going through this series on prayer. We are, we are specifically focusing on this daily prayer rhythm. In the morning, we are, we're praying the Lord's Prayer, using the Lord's Prayer as a structure. In the midday, we are, are praying for the lost. And in the evening, we pray gratitude. Gratitude is a critical component of our prayer life because a grateful heart teaches us to see God moving in our lives. Now, that's the destination. That's where we want to go. But there is a journey that starts with, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, I'm bringing it together, I promise. Just come with me. Back to that lonely, exhausted prophet who's in hiding. Gratitude begins when I recognize God in my past. Everything that Elijah recounts in that opening scripture that we read to God in that that first portion, everything that he says is true except for one thing. There's one thing that he kind of adds into his story to to God that, that is a lie. I alone am left. And Elijah knew he wasn't alone. If you turn back to uh, verse, chapter 18, verse 13, Elijah's told that there are a hundred prophets of God that have been hidden away in caves by Obadiah. I mean, he, he shares that with him right before Elijah goes up the mountain to, to go into this epic showdown, to call down fire from heaven. Times are tough, but you're not alone. There's a hundred prophets that I have saved in the caves. But on the other side of the breakthrough, Elijah is afraid. What do we know about fear? Fear distorts our vision. And in this moment for Elijah, fear is standing taller than the promise that God has given to him. When we believe lies, when we believe fear, It distorts our vision. The outward expression of the belief in a lie is that we grasp out to to grab onto anything that we can. And we see this all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 1, with Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve are told a lie that the God that they have only ever known as love somehow is holding something back from them. And their outward response to God holding something back from them, they're thinking that God is holding something back to them, is to reach out and to try and take life themselves through the, the choice of taking that fruit. The original sin that we see here is is grasping for what I can only receive. Me trying to take what can only be given. That thought process, that idea of trying to, to take starts from a healthy response. It starts from what will bring me peace? What will give me peace? But then it turns into a demand that God 
owes me peace. That, we, we don't think about it that way because we, we don't like to, to think that that's really what our actions say. But if we stop and we think about some of the prayers that we pray, if we stop and think about some of the, and I'm going to use the word demands, that we, we lay at the feet of God, it becomes less of a God blessing and more of a God, you owe me this. And what happens when we don't get what we think we're owed? If I don't get what I think I'm owed, that brings disappointment. And typically from that disappointment comes some sense of anger. I thought if I followed Jesus, I was going to always have a happy marriage. I thought if I always followed Jesus that my dreams for his kingdom would come to pass. I thought if I followed Jesus that I would always be sexually fulfilled. I thought when I followed Jesus that generational patterns that existed in my life would be stopped and that chains would be broken. I thought that when I followed Jesus, I would get a community that was always on my side, that always loved me, that accepted me for who I was and recognized that I was in the process of following Jesus. I thought all of those things were gonna come to pass. I was looking for peace, but all I got instead was restlessness, discontent, and now I'm just angry that these people don't seem to get it. Instead, I'm surrounded by people that don't understand what I'm going through. I am seeing everybody else live their lives, and it seems like they have the perfect life, the perfect experiences, and yet God seems to have forgotten about what he owes me. And none of us want to say that. None of us, none of us want to own that. And, and that's not even intentionally the, the heart that we have. But can I say this happens more often than you might think. Do you know, know what that's called? It's called entitlement. Entitlement is trying to take from God what we believe we, he owes us. Luke 17, 7 through 10 has a, a good reminder about entitlement. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come, fa- come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that, he was, that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And you read that verse and you're saying, hmm, that's not very comfortable. (laughs) Are we sure Jesus said that? He did. I promise it's in there. Look it up. (laughs) What what happened to all of the, the last shall be first? What happened to like the washing of the feet and the the servant of all and, and all of those things? Instead, we get, you're the servant, I'm the master, you can eat when I'm done and don't think I'm gonna say thank you for the service either. <laughs> That's what it seems like is being said. But what he's actually saying is that there's a difference between what we get by rights, what we are owed, and how God blesses us. 
And to see that, we have to look at Luke 12, 37, where he said it just a few minutes before. He says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds when he comes. Excuse me, let me start that again. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. Because he owes them because he's a God who blesses. The enemy's ploy is to get us to believe that what has been given as a gift is actually something that we've deserved all along. That's it. It, It's to get us to think that we are owed the blessings that we have received. And the fact of the matter is we are owed so much less. Gratitude is what we use to battle entitlement. Gratitude begins with hindsight. What's the most common command in the Bible? Do not fear. The, the second most, there's some, some uh, argument about this, but for the sake of today, I'm going to say that the second most popular command in the Bible is remember. And so if we look at Elijah, fear has gotten the best of him. He is being hunted. There are other prophets of God that are being killed. Fear has gotten the best of Elijah. And God is asking a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Remember the journey of your life, where you have come from and what you have seen, what you have been a part of. Look back at those things because there's importance in in looking back. The, the saying is hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And, and it is absolutely easier, just like this morning, how we, we looked back at this experience of riding a bike three weeks ago. In the moment, there was nothing like, oh, I'm going to use this for a good Sunday morning illustration. And the morning, it's like, man, I really want to just be off my bike. But as you look back at the struggles and the hardships that you go through in your life, you see God's presence over and over and over and over again. When you look back, you see that God is faithful. And that's why we, we pray gratitude in the, morning, in the evening. We recognizing, recognize that the, the gifts that have been given as we look back throughout our day, maybe you didn't feel gratitude in the moment. Maybe you didn't see how God was moving in the midst of your day. But as you stop and you look back, you say, God moved in this situation, in this situation, in this situation. And you see over and over and over again where God shows up. And when we look back at our day, we see God's promise standing taller than the lie of the enemy. And that's how we bring our day to a close, recognizing God's faithfulness, recognizing that God does what he says he's going to do. With that gratitude comes peace. And with peace and gratitude looking back, we begin to have gratitude looking forward. So we we move from recognizing God in in my past to now recognizing God in my future. The sole purpose of gratitude is connecting the gift to the giver. Recognizing the gift that has been given to who gave it. 
And it's in this process that the things that we maybe wouldn't typically consider a spiritual discipline all of a sudden become spiritual disciplines. I can ride my bike and recognize that this is an opportunity to to, to claim all of the gifts that have been given in that time as gifts from God. Because I'm connecting the gift to the giver. When When I pray gratitude in the evening, I'm saying I see you in these areas of my life. And then I look forward to the coming day, not with, oh, I have all of these hardships that are coming in front of me. I look forward expecting his promises, expecting his faithfulness, expecting his reality, as opposed to my own fears and insecurities. And once we've done that, we then come to this this final point of recognizing that God isn't just in our past and he isn't just in our future. He's in our today as well. If we can't recognize that God is present and that we can't be grateful and show gratitude towards him in the midst of our lives, we are in danger of ceasing to recognize God altogether. The the Pharisees, they couldn't recognize who God was because they were so focused on the God that they knew in in those scrolls. They were so focused on on the study of who God was that they, they completely lost sight of God sitting down at the dinner table next to them. The disciples struggled as well. We have these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. They've just watched their Messiah get crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb. They're walking and and Jesus comes alongside them. They don't even recognize who he is and and we don't know all of the, the specifics in terms of maybe he looked different, I don't know. But they didn't recognize him and and one of the reasons they didn't recognize him is because their fear was bigger than the promise. They were afraid. And We come back full circle to our our question, what are you doing here, Elijah? God listens to Elijah recount the story. He listens to the lie that Elijah shares, the distortion that's brought on by fear. God doesn't correct him. God's not, no, you're not alone. Remember you have those other hundred there? What are you thinking? No, this is the reality. No, he doesn't do any of that. What does he do? God shows up. In the midst of Elijah being afraid, he's like, he doesn't say, dude, buck up. Do you remember what you just did like a few weeks ago? This was amazing. Get on board. No, he shows up. He says, get out there because I'm going to show you who I am. God reveals his presence, not in the noise, not in the power, but in the whisper. And then he asks Elijah again, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And it's not an accusation. It's it's not a negative connotation. He's asking sincerely, what are you doing here? What brought you to this point? And Elijah recounts the story again. And and what's God's direction? Go back the way you came. Go back, retrace your steps and, and look back 
at everything that you have gone through, all of the blessing that you have received, everything that has brought you to this moment. And in that, you will see the way forward. Cool point. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they convinced Jesus, hey, come to dinner. They still don't know who he is. They sit down to eat with him and it's only when Jesus prays gratitude in the evening prayer that they recognize who he is. It's when he gives thanks for the food that they see who he is. It's a prayer of gratitude in the evening that reveals to this, this disciples who God was throughout the entire day of walking with them. And you know what's cool? Is it wasn't like that was the only time God was there. God was there the whole time. They just only recognized it at the very end. This morning, we're gonna come to our communion table. And I cannot think of a better place to come as a conclusion to a study on gratitude. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. So as we, we stop for just a moment, normally this is where I, I say a prayer and, and we eat the bread, we drink the juice, we read a couple of Bible verses. I'd like us just to stop. We're gonna close our eyes, bow our heads, and we're gonna pray gratitude. Gratitude for what Jesus has done, what we're celebrating here this morning, what we're remembering here this morning. Gratitude for how God has moved in our life. And if you can't, Find something that, that you have to be grateful for this morning. Be grateful that you are here. That is a start. There's a, a Jewish prayer where the translation is that would have been enough. Say, God, lunch today would have been enough. But you, you chose to, to make it lunch that tasted good. And God, good tasting lunch would have been enough, but, but you chose to, to give it flavor and you chose to, to make it something that, that fit into my culture and that would have been enough. But, but you chose to allow me to experience it with a coworker that I got to have a relationship with, that I got to listen to, that I got to, to do life with, and that would have been enough. And it, it just builds and builds and builds until you recognize all of the different things that we have grateful for just in that one meal that would have been enough. So we're gonna pause for just a moment and we're gonna recognize what it is that we have to be thankful for.
while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat for this is my body. God, we say thank you. God, may we always have a, a heart that is grateful for the, the blood that was shed, for the, the sacrifice of your body that has made a way for us to be with you. God, we pray gratitude. And then he took the cup and he had given thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God, thank you. Your perfect blood has wiped us clean. Your perfect, spotless sacrifice is what makes a way for us to be with you. That calls us redeemed, that calls us worthy. God, not because of anything that we've done. God, as we go from this place, Lord, help us to, help us to be mindful. Help us to continue this practice of, of praying, of, of seeking out relationship with you. God, we do want to see your kingdom come. Help us to pray that in the mornings. Help us to pray for the lost in that, that noon hour and help us to pray gratitude as we bring our days to a close. God, we, we come and we, we bring gratitude to you. We are thankful for who you are and what you have done, what you are doing and what you will continue to do. God, you are the same yesterday, today and forever. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 